We looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 this week. What we're doing for this series is very simple. We're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. Just to remind you and refresh you, or if you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about the background of 1 Peter. 1 Peter's background involves the church being in a situation where they were under heavy persecution. This was written during the time of Nero, the emperor Nero, who was basically the guy that set Rome on fire, and according to a lot of folks, basically blamed Christians for that, used them as the opportunity. But um, because of that, or at least one of the reasons for that, uh, led to greater persecution of Christians. A lot of them were scattered. But Nero was the kind of guy, it says as well, that he would literally take Christians and basically put them on poles and light them on fire to keep his gardens lit at night. That's kind of the, the situation that a lot of the Christians had found themselves in. And uh, we could talk through some of the historical aspects. We mentioned some of that last week, but they are in a, a scenario where they are facing some intense tribulations, some intense trials, some intense persecution. And so the book of First Peter, in many ways, is written to the church to say, how do you live as believers in this scenario? How do you live as believers in this situation? Thinking about some of that, it seems like to even address this issue to us seems so far removed because we're not facing those kinds of things here. We read about our brothers and sisters, you know, in Syria and those different areas that are facing a lot of that. But nonetheless, there are, there are smaller aspects of tribulations we have, persecutions that we do face as believers in different ways. And I believe that we need to live in such a way that when those times come, and I believe they will at some point for us, that we honor, we live such mature lives in Christ that we're ready for it, that we're prepared for it. Even if we didn't have persecutions and tribulations to the extent that I mentioned, living this kind of life is still the life that Christ has called us to live. So let's take a look at, at 1 Peter chapter 2. We, we come into this where the end of chapter 1 is talking about being holy because God's holy. This is the kind of life that he expects from us. He expects us to live a holy life, a life that, that is honoring to him and the things that we do and, and the things that we say. And what's interesting that we find in chapter 1, especially in chapter 2, is, is facing trouble, facing trials, does not excuse us from living a holy life. We, we often do that so many times when we face difficult times, like, well, I've earned it, I'm... You don't know the day I've had. I'm just going to say what I want to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. You ever done that? That's kind of the mentality, right? You get to the point where you're like, I don't give a crap. And you might even say stronger words, right? But we're in church, and so I'm trying to not say things like that, which ideally we wouldn't say, right? We, uh, we, sometimes we have to be careful. I was thinking about this the past couple of weeks just because we're kind of an edgy church or a real church. Doesn't mean necessarily that it gives us license to just say whatever. Like it's okay because we're the cool church, you know. You know, we don't judge anyone for that. And, and they would never know. We'd love them to pieces. And I'm, you're never going to hear me like look at you strange. Or hear me look at you. How about that? You're not going to see me look at you strange or say anything to you if you let something fly. Because I'm just not, because that happens to me. It happens to all of us. But that doesn't mean, because I hit myself with a hammer, that it's okay. And so when we face trials, when we face tribulations, First Peter uh, is, is sharing with us 
how do you how do you face those things and still live the right way? What is God calling you to do? What kind of life does a Christian have? Because what you're going to find out and what you've already seen is it's upside down from the rest of the world. The world acts this way, but Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to act this way. And so that's tough. It's really tough because nature says, I'm going to just let it fly. And I'm going to act this way just because. But Jesus says, I've called you to something different. A lot of people call it kind of the upside-down kingdom. It's, it's so different from anything else anyone has ever heard, which really, to me, lends to the fact of its truthfulness, right? You know? So let's take a look at it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, first of all, before we jump in, let me just say this. As you read through Scripture, we were talking about this in Bible and Brew uh, last week, take your time. Even if you don't understand it, you know, go slow, a little bit at a time. Don't get bogged down. Move through it, but don't give up, okay? So as we read through this, there's going to be some things you're like, what does that mean? Don't get hung up on the stuff you just can't figure out. Look at some of the holistic aspects of it too today. So anyway, that said, First Peter chapter 2, and it says this in verse 1. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put that stuff away. If you are living for me, if you're living a holy life, there's some things you got to put back, got to get rid of. Set this aside. You can't hang on to these things any longer when you get ticked off, or you go through trials. You can't let these things be your go-to anymore. Well, someone wronged me, so I have the right to hold malice in my heart. If you don't know that word, look it up. It's an incredible word, okay? Get rid of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, okay? And then slander, right? The way where you just slightly say something about so-and-so. Well, you know, I don't know. So-and-so might have had a bad day because of what? Uh, did you hear? It's amazing how we tear each other down, even in the kindest of ways, and it happens too much in church. Put those things away. If you're going to be a holy people, put those things away. And then it says this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation like newborn infants i love how it says not just like a baby not just like a child like newborn infants like brand new people because that's what you are right the old is gone the new has come second corinthians 5 17 amazing verse right brand new life because of jesus like newborn infants long for what long for the pure stuff Long for the stuff that is right. Long for the things that come from the Lord. Let that be your desire. You don't find parents giving newborn babies anything but the purest thing, right? And if you remember as mothers and fathers trying to get these bottles together and stuff, what do you do? You go through, you have to boil stuff, you know, make sure that you've got to get the right kind of water. You obsess over the kind of formula. Man, this was too gassy. This is that. You've got to get, I mean, you've got to get the right kind of thing. It's like, oh my gosh, why can't the baby just eat? This is so complicated, you know? But you go through step by step by step to make sure that baby has nothing but the precise, pure milk. And Jesus is saying, set aside this garbage and just take the pure spiritual milk that I have to offer you. Like new people, like newborn infants long for that, that by it, there's a reason you may grow up to salvation. 
that you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is, you know, saying, in other words, you know, this is for the believers. This is for those that know Jesus. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, if you know Christ. So if you do know Christ, if you have gotten on board, if you are a follower of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, come follow me, and you start following him, that means something. Set aside these things and take from me, not from everybody else. Eat the right stuff so that you may grow up. You know, I was thinking about the very simple aspect of growing up this week. How many of us, if you look back to when you first became Christ, can look back and say, I'm growing up? Or has it been stagnant? Or have you gone backwards? Are you maturing? Are you growing up? You know, this uh, week I was talking to uh, a coworker at Oliver Gospel Mission. We were talking about how there are so many questions sometimes we have about any aspect of life, not just spiritual things, right? But like, why are, why are stoplights, why do they choose red, green, and yellow? You're like, why haven't you thought about that? That's stupid. Well, why did they choose it? If you have that question, as adults, sometimes like, eh, whatever, but I can live without knowing the answer to that. I'm not going to spend the time to look it up, right? You're like, who cares? Until your kids ask you, right? And they're like, I don't know. And then maybe you're forced into Googling something. You know, Dennis is incredible to me because with chemistry, he, you know, he's like, Dad, give me a problem to solve. You know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I'm like, all right, look up why deodorant works. You know, so he's like, oh, he's like digging all the chemistry out. Well, it has silica and this, that, and the other. And he finds the answer to these things. He is growing in knowledge. He has got these chemistry kits that come once a month that he is learning this stuff and, and quite honestly just pummeling us with information that we never asked for. But he's into it. He's growing and he's moving up. Are you Googling, if you will? Are you, when it comes spiritually to the things of Christ, are you growing? You know, church is great, and you're taking stuff in, but what are you doing on your own? Are you growing from day to day? You know, there was a, a, a thing that came up this week. I just saw it yesterday on the solar eclipse, right? How many of you are wondering, okay, they're talking about you have to have special glasses. Why do you need the stupid glasses? You know, like, well, it's going to be really, really bad. But does anyone really know why? They just take it in because so-and-so said this, and Dennis challenged me with this, and I'm like, there's got to be a reason for this. I mean, I know I don't always look exactly right at the sun, but I look at the sun. It's not, I haven't had special glasses. Anyway, so I started looking up some stuff, so I wasn't a complete idiot as the time comes in August about solar eclipse, and this guy comes out, and he's got this video that says, learning something new every day, and it's an episode on, on solar eclipses. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll watch this thing. And he tells you more about it. You know there's more events that are crazy about this than just the sun being blacked out. There's different stages. The sun's blacked out, but right before it's blacked out, there's these things called, oh gosh, there's these shadows that can come. And it doesn't happen for every solar eclipse where they look like a bunch of thousands of snakes running. Yeah, like, and it only lasts for 30 seconds. And then as the sun is almost about to close, there's these things called some dude's name, Hob. I'm going to make up, like, I don't know the guy's name. It's something weird like Hob, so yeah, you can laugh. It's all right. And so there's like these little beads. You're like, well, isn't, you, you don't really think about it, but the, the moon has mountains, and, and, and so as the, the, it's going over, 
little sections of the mountains, the shadows that come through, cause like these little beads of light to come through. Well, the moon isn't just a sliver of cheese, you know what I mean? So it causes you to see out. There's more to it, right? And I would have never known that unless I had stopped and taken the time to actually learn something new and to grow. I understand some of the reasons behind some of these questions. When it comes to living for Christ, when is the last time you just simply thought about knowing something more today than you knew yesterday? Then you just stopped taking what was given to you and you took it a step further. Not just in knowledge too, but maybe taking a step out and saying, I'm going to step out in faith in this area and try something new. I'm going to actually really try to live what Jesus is telling me to do. Because if you don't do those things, you're not growing, you're not maturing, you're stagnant, you're still. And when the trials come, the difficulties come, you fail, you fall flat on your face, and you go back to what you've always known. All I know is to get ticked off when trials come. And to cuss about it, to get upset, and to get pissed off at other people, and to treat other people like crap, to be depressed, to be mopey, to be all these things because of trials. Am I an example to others when, the, when the, the junk hits the fan? See, I changed my language there. Am I an example because I've grown and I've learned? Or am I going back to what I've always known? So he says to grow up. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's move on. So in verse 4, again, during the series, you'll have this up here, but don't be afraid to pull out your phones. No one's going to say, oh my gosh, they're on their phone in church. Okay? If you have the Bible app and you want to follow with me, I highly encourage that. I'm using the English Standard Version, the ESV, if you see that. Okay? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So it says, as you come to him, back in verse 4, a living stone rejected by men. There is this aspect of Jesus, and I'm sure it is not all that familiar as you've, as you've tried to represent Christ, if you've talked to anyone about Christ, that, that in society as a whole, or in many forms or fashions of society, Jesus is what? He is rejected. To live for Christ, to, to, to honor Christ, as opposed to doing the things that don't honor Christ, that aspect, he is, he is rejected. People say, I want to do things my way, I'm going to do it my own way. I don't care about your Jesus, or what he says. Kind of like what Pharaoh said to Moses, he's like, you know, what's this God to me? We talked about a few weeks ago. There is this rejection of Christ. There's this rejection of Christian principles, this, this lifestyle, this Jesus himself. And so Jesus is 
rejected. And because Jesus is rejected, and he actually says this in other parts of Scripture, we should not be surprised when we are rejected. When we're looked at cross-eyed and weird for trying to say this is the way, this is what Jesus says, and this is what I'm trying to live, this is what I'm trying to do. Don't be surprised when he is rejected and you are also rejected. And he says this to, to people as well that are going through some serious trials. You know, Jesus was rejected to the point, never did anything wrong and was what? Nailed to a cross. Come follow Jesus, be like Jesus, except for that, right? Except for when the trials come, except for when the difficulties come. You know, I want to be the, I want to just be the, the Christian that kind of slides by, man. You know, that knows the music and has the Christian t-shirts and, and the fish in the back of the car. And, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, with the nice coffee, you know, the, the whole church vibe, you know, this kind of thing. But, you know, to be challenged, to have to face difficulty, for people to pick on me, for people, in this case, to be strung up to a pole as Nero did and lit, and lit on fire just because you honor Christ. Well, I don't know if any of us are ready for that, are we? I hope we are. We, we shouldn't be surprised. So he was rejected. But it says that he is a living stone, and he actually calls us stones as well. But what's interesting is it says that, that he, is, he is described here as, as the cornerstone and a, or, a, or a, the, to the point that people stumble over him. He's a rock of offense. People fall over him all the time. And the, the point of him being a cornerstone is this. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what a cornerstone actually is, but this involves masonry, right? Look around, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stones here, you know, a lot of bricks. Justin knows this kind of stuff being in construction. He understands probably better than, than all of us how all this stuff works. But in the, in the course of making a building, the first stone that is laid is what is called the cornerstone. And you lay that stone in the corner, and based upon the, where that stone is, the rest of the building takes shape. How do you build a wall, for example? Looking at this one, it starts with this brick, and off of this brick and only this brick, everything else goes out. Then it goes out, and it goes up, and it becomes a building. The cornerstone is where it all starts. It starts there, and it proceeds from the cornerstone. And this aspect of, of masonry helps us to understand why it all begins with Jesus. And people are wanting to... You can't just build off of this way and that way. It has to be attached to the cornerstone. It all begins at the cornerstone. It all comes from there. The cornerstone, even symbolically looking at ancient culture, was always, culture was always huge because as they were getting ready to build a house, people would literally, uh, there would be, they would put an offering on it. They would, dump, they would bring uh, offerings of things they had grown, of oil. Some, some civilizations literally sacrifice animals or people upon the cornerstone, it was very significant as to this is where it begins and this is where it proceeds from. And Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. He's building something too, by the way. What's interesting is, is that he's the cornerstone, but we are also living stones that are a part of this building that is being built up with a, with a purpose this gathering of people that are brought together in a strong manner to accomplish and to build, if you will, the kingdom of God. You've got to think a little metaphorically here, okay? 
you know, to understand what he's saying here, but he has called us together as living stones united to change the world. That, that everything be made new. And it says this about us, and this is going back to considering everything he said before. Hey, you've got to be holy. You've got to set these things aside. You've got to grow up because you're going to be a part of a stone that is connected to me. We're building something. And he says, you are, in verse 9 is where we are. And you're like, where is this dude? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I have called you together for a purpose. He calls us, and many of us are uncomfortable with this, thinking, well, because there's a greater level of responsibility. You're a part of a priesthood. I ain't never want to be no pastor. How many of y'all feel qualified to be a pastor? I'm putting my hand down. <laughs> You're a priesthood. In the hood, okay? You are called to be a priesthood. You are all, literally, whether you like it or not, representatives of Jesus. And that's a very scary thought. And we have screwed it up many, many, many times, haven't we? We have not represented him well. But he says, this is what you are. You are part of that priesthood and you are connected to the cornerstone and together together it says we are a people for his own possession that you may what proclaim what does proclaim mean somebody tell me like we're in sunday school somebody say what is proclaim what does it mean to proclaim to shout it out okay to tell this we are we are made to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you didn't have mercy, but now you do have mercy. As the priesthood, as we're connected to this building, we're called to proclaim the grace, the majesty of God, the excellencies of him. That's, that's, that's a cool word. There's so much about Jesus to talk about. That's incredible. That's what he's called us to do. I feel like we've climbed up here thinking about, man, it makes you want to stick out your chest almost, right? This is what I'm called to do. This is my purpose. And we feel, and we, we, we feel that, but then, you know, it goes, that's a long way from back where we started to wanting to crab people out because of the trials we're in. We find ourselves stuck here so many times. not growing, not maturing, not setting things aside and trying to, to live a holy life, depressed, not looking to Christ, not drinking the right kinds of milk, if you will. But what he's called us to be over here, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, connected to the cornerstone, part of a priesthood. And he reminds us of that as we look at verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
away from all the sin, all the garbage, all the junk that's out there, right? It says this, which wage war against your soul. All those things we're talking about is setting aside and living a holy life. Those things wage war against our very soul. We don't take sin seriously as we need to sometimes. But sin, literally all those things, the things of the flesh, it wages war against our soul. It is something that, that causes this battle that wants to tear us down and rip us apart. We forget about the parts of Scripture. It says the Bible, in the Bible it says that the devil is like a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Bring down, tear apart, ruin. We can't allow that to happen. We don't have time, too, to be engaged in, 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 in battles of those things when God has given us a greater purpose. And then it says this in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, when it says Gentiles, we don't have time to go into the history of all this, but it's really referring to simply those that don't know Jesus, those that are not followers of Jesus. Okay? It says this. Keep your conduct, conduct among them honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So even if these people don't like you, even if these things just say, they say slanderous things against you, okay, that they may actually see your good deeds, how you're really living, and just, and just honor God on the time when he actually comes back. Because there's a time where he is coming back. But even though they've said all these things, even though they've treated you like crap, that they actually look at your life and say, this guy right here, he's a genuine believer. He's not like some of these other believers who are still holding on to hypocrisy and malice and all those things we saw at the beginning. This guy's different. This is someone that's living an honorable life that even the people that don't know Jesus say, this guy is a good dude. He's serious about what he believes. What a, what a thing to hold up. Now here's some tough stuff. Remember we said in this particular time they're facing persecution around a guy like Nero, who's willing to blame the believers for, all, you know, for, for his failings of lighting the city on fire. A lot of people say there's crazy reasons behind why he may have done that. But lighting Christians on fire, okay. People, Nero was an authority over them. And then Peter has to go and share this. You're like, really? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Even if they're stringing you to a pole and lighting you on fire. Even if they're putting fur coats around you and, and putting you out to the dogs. It's another part of Tacitus's description of what was happening. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now what's interesting is it says, be subject for whose sake? Not for the emperor's sake, but who, for whose sake? For God's sake. For the Lord's sake, he says, because I'm asking you to. Because of me, I want you to honor those who have been placed into leadership over you. And what's crazy about this, and what we'll never understand in some ways, and, until we 
the Lord decides to tell us one day or whatever is that he's the one that put him over in charge. Like, God, why would you put like someone in Nero in charge? And some of us would say that about all kinds of leaders. We'd say that about, about governors and about, about presidents and about senators and, and, and leaders of other countries. and whatever, You know, God, why? Why? Why Pharaoh even? Why'd you do this? But he says, for the Lord's sake, we are to honor our leaders. In verse 15, it says, for this is the will of God. And then it says, it clarifies some of it. It says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do we typically want to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people? For me, it's usually not by doing good. It's by wanting to, to chase down the person that cut me off. Okay? I don't know why this is such an easy illustration for me when it comes to traffic. It's not by doing good. You know, what if no one notices how good I am? Well, you just screwed that up already by that thought. I'll give you, a, you know, the humble pin, but they had to take it away because you wore it kind of scenario. Jesus says, he says to live this kind of life that you live as, um, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You live the kind of life that, that literally it would be dumb for someone to say anything against you. You know, it's like trying to trash Mother Teresa. No one does that. You know, maybe. I don't know. I saw that. I don't know if there are. I haven't met anybody. But it's like, seriously? You know, you would say something. That's, you just, it's like someone's living such a good life. You say something about them. You sound dumb. Like, really? But we're talking about, and wouldn't you like to be that person they're talking about? That's what he's saying here. That's the kind of life we're called to live, that, that you live such an amazing life and honoring God that it would be dumb for anyone to say anything against you. Even if so-and-so says it, like, no, I know Lance. Unfortunately, they do. But if I was that guy I'm trying to describe, they'd be like, no. That's what we're called to. It's incredible. So, live as people who are free. We're almost done. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom, though, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You know, we've got the grace of God that if we slip up and we cuss and we do stupid things, we're free, we're forgiven. But don't use that freedom, that grace, as a covering for evil. Oh, it's okay, I'm forgiven. You know? Don't ever take that grace that God has given for granted. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is where it just gets ridiculous almost, right? Like, how can we honor Nero? How can we honor a guy like this? This is really where Jesus' love and grace is just, just is ridiculous to comprehend. I gotta love, I gotta honor someone like that. He's not, what, what would we say? He's not, what's the word, worthy of honor, right? Don't people have to earn your love? Don't people have to earn the right to be respected and honored. That's how it works in our society, right? 
You earn the right to be respected. You earn the right to be honored. You earn the right to be loved. All right? There's no such thing as unconditional love. We love people because of, don't we? Because of this, because of that, there's a, there's a reason behind why. But unconditional love? That's what's so crazy about the grace and love of Jesus. You, he's called us, even though he is not, we would say, not worthy of it, you're supposed to honor a guy like Nero. That's nuts. Jesus, you're out of your mind. Crazy. Hey, you chose to follow him. If we are to follow Christ, we are to love the unlovable. We are to set an example that just turns the world upside down. You people are different. How can you love someone like this? How can you bother to spend time with someone like this? You should hate this person. You should have nothing to do with this person. You should respond this way because that's what they've really earned. That's not Jesus. Servants, it says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. <laughs> Don't just be good to the boss that treats you well. Be good to the boss that's a complete jerk. What? Again, it's back to this same thing we just said. That's what Jesus has called us to. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It says, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. You have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you and what? An example. What's an example? Somebody does something and then you're supposed to do what? What? You're supposed to do what they do. It's amazing how simple yet profound that is. Leaving you an example so that you might, and if we didn't catch what example meant, might follow in his steps. Again, he did nothing wrong. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And people brought him down. He didn't bring down somebody else. That's how it works. Tit for tat. Boom, boom. You said this to me. I say this to you. You do this to me. I punch you back. I mean, it's just, that's how it works. That's how the world works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Oh, this is huge. If you take this home today, it'll be, it'll be huge. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When you are undergoing trial, when you feel people are doing things to you, something is not right, what do you do? Who do you take it to? This says, the Bible says, not Lance says, you, 
you entrust it to him. You take it to him. Why don't we do that? We don't trust God. We don't have faith in God. I don't want to say that out loud, but that's the truth, right? We don't take it to him because we, oh, God's not going to do anything with it. How do you know? The example that Jesus set in the middle of being nailed to a cross, all these things going on was it says he did not threaten, but he continued, not just once, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. No matter what garbage is going on, you tell me to honor Nero and he straps me to a pole and sets me on fire. What's going on here? You continue to entrust yourself to God. To the world that looks like insanity. And some people just walk away from Jesus. Now I want nothing to do with him because he didn't come through when I thought he was supposed to come through. He says you are to continue entrusting yourself in God. You continue to have faith. You continue to trust. You give it to him. There's going to continue to be all kinds of things in our life that we don't get, that we don't understand. But the real question is, who are you going to go to? Who are you going to take those things to that don't make sense? Who are you going to trust when those things don't make sense? That's the whole point of faith, isn't it? Faith isn't something you've got all figured out. That you can, you can scientifically parse it out and show me the formula for it, right, Dennis? That's not the definition of faith. He continually entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. In other words, we're done with it, right? And live to righteousness. That's what we're called to. And it says, by his wounds... You have been healed. It says, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Don't forget the sheep that you used to be wandering around aimless with no direction and no hope and no life. That's not who you are any longer. You have come back to the shepherd the overseer of your souls. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to live for him? That's what we're called to do. It's not always comfortable. We are called to live a different kind of life. I'm going to ask for the priesthood to stand. Uh-oh, you stood up. <laughs> Priesthood has a big job. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we, we stand as your priesthood, called to live differently. Lord, if anything, it reminds us how desperate, how truly desperate we are for you. Lord, together we just simply declare our faith in you and our trust in you. Not just in this moment, but continually. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you've done. Lord, help us with the issues that we face, Lord, to give them to you. The trials that we're facing, to give them to you. 
to trust you in everything. Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be. Lord, you've given us the title of priest. Help us to live up to that. And we know it's only because of the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we, we just we thank you for that. Lord, help us to, to honor you in everything. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.